people say about the liberal arts that you can't put a price tag on it. And I like to say, then great, don't put a $100,000 price tag on it, you know? <laughs> We're literally sending out kind of our brightest and best with the most energy into the most you know, wonderful decade of their life, limping financially. I talk about all the industries that have moved off to, to China or to India or to Mexico. You can't export the trades to China, to Mexico, to India. The building needs to be built here. You know, the home needs to be erected here. And so when you have a small army of, of, of competent young Catholic tradesmen actually understanding how the world around us works, how the systems around us works, uh, that is a very powerful person in a local community. The theology of work and you hear everyone say how important that manual labor is and how it's actually sanctifying. It's all fun and games until all of a sudden you're getting up at six in the morning. I mean, I, I've worked landscaping before. We're doing 12 hour days. Like it's, it's not easy. This is part of the fulfillment of our human nature. And the, when we fulfill our human nature, we're happier. And it is just waiting for us to give these next, this younger generation, the charge work hard be a man good men bad times bad times terrible times terrible times good men it's like yeah, the cycle yeah. hopefully hopefully we could break the cycle we just like all right let's just get back to being sweet you know like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get to work Welcome to the Loopcast. Today, I am joined by Jacob Imam from the New Polity team and also a founder of College of St. Joseph the Worker, a new school starting in Steubenville, Ohio. Jacob Imam, thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And I, I can't say, uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but uh, such highly requested. I, I have some people in my life who are like, you got to talk to these New Polity guys. They're, they're doing things different. <laughs> they're doing things different. And you know, I found your background to be fascinating. And I think it really plays into a lot of your work going on right now. So uh, I see that you, you, your father was Muslim, your mother was evangelical. Uh, both our moms went to Michigan State, funny connection. Um, oh, cool. Nice. So, uh, and I would, my mom would never want me to send my kids to Michigan State. Now I'm, I don't know how your mom would feel about that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> similarly, so can, you, yeah. <laughs> can you go into uh, how you came about to Catholicism, which eventually led you into everything you're doing now? Yeah, well, that that it really is true. Um, I was a sorry fourteen year old kid realizing just how uh, depressed I was and how evil I was. I think I was coming to a real realization that it wasn't just that I was sinful and bad, but also that the world uh, around us was sinful and bad as well. And looking over at my father's faith being really confused. Like, I'm not sure that given the revelation of the Quran, that that Allah would have really been long suffering for, for this amount of time, for people this bad, for people this wayward. So then I looked over at my mom's faith and seeing that not only was something substantial done for our sins, but there was a narrative that fit um, God's patience as well, his his demonstrable patience—the fact that we that the world has continued to exist, that there hasn't been a final deluge—and um, and that that was really what um, convinced me that Christianity was true. And then saying that uh, ultimately there was this problem within the Protestant world that I had uh, entered into, 
namely that I so desperately wanted a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and finding that some very basic um, doctrines were undecided still in the in the kind of the non-denominational Protestant world, things like infant baptism, like what the Eucharist is, these sort of like like we should have figured this out by now, guys, sort of, <laughs> sort of issues. And, uh, and realizing that those were actually like real hindrances from finding that more intimate relationship with God. Um, the more that you know about somebody, the more that you're able to love them. Um, and then looking over at traditional uh, Christianity, first in Eastern Orthodoxy, or as a catechumen for a short period of time, and then and then um, Catholicism, um, finding that those there's just more rungs to that ladder of the enabling your celestial ascent, and so that that's that's what did it. And then you know once you're in the Catholic Church, it's just I mean it's just so exciting because the whole universe is Catholic, like the whole universe makes sense, and uh, you know one big movement for me uh, early on as a, as a neophyte, like happily going to mass every day, happily praising, praying my rosary uh, every day, was finding that there was an opportunity to be more of a Catholic than just that hour a day or two hours a day, that every nook and cranny of your life Christ claims, points to, and, and calls his own. Uh, and, th- and that's also the glory of Catholic social doctrine or political theology um, as well, is that he really does want everything transformed and that the kingdom of God to be not just some ethereal idea, but actually the world we live in. Um, and so this is where the glories of the the theoretical doctrines of the faith are actually grounded in right smack dab in reality and changes the way that we live. And so it actually makes the church uh, a, a real location, like a real thing to live in. And, and that's just is so exciting. Yeah. And, and I got to bring this up. You are a doctor, Jacob, my mom. Uh, I actually <laughs> yes. see in a lot of the online material for you, you don't even use that, which I find hilarious because typically when people <laughs> do that much school, they're like, I'm going to put doctor before my name. Um, but speaking of the nooks and crannies, a lot of what you focused on in your study is the intersection of Catholicism and what Jesus demands from us and economics and politics. And especially with Catholic vote and the loop, we're big on this, but we find that most people, when they think of Jesus, often just stop at being kind to your neighbor, treat others as you want to be treated, but rarely go beyond that into how we, how Jesus wants us to act when it comes to economics and politics. Can you tell us you know, how you zeroed in on that part of life and why you think more people don't feel that connection between Catholicism and economics and politics? Yeah, it's a million dollar question, really. Uh, for me personally, it was, you know, my dad was in finance growing up. I was kind of on the same trajectory uh, to enter into that same industry and and realizing that, especially after entering the church, you know, the, she says so much about kind of your sexual life. A lot of a lot more don'ts than do's, you know, and, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of specificity there uh, that is completely and utterly radical for our contemporary culture. And yet I wasn't hearing all that much about economics. And, um, and certainly when you find that Christ speaks about this topic in, in the Holy Gospels more than anything else that we should probably pay attention to that. And so that's really what got me into that that uh, question was a kind of a personal background, kind of noticing uh, this trajectory of, of change in, in the sacred scriptures um, as well. And, and of course, we can point out to the ancient 
pagan world, like all of these radical shifts that you find, like a, a complete inversion of the Roman imperial system. And of course, we can point out things like uh, the, the way that women were treated, the freeing of the slaves, the, the dignification of manual labor, uh, really tectonic shifts for a culture that was predicated on um, on on the form of hierarchical um, powers that um, that Christ really undid, and, and and of course Jesus talks about this explicitly, saying that the rulers of this earth, the kings of this earth, you call benefactors, you know, falsely, you know, he he mentions this. So it's uh, it's just a huge topic, and I think for us, we've gone through this, you know, huge transition, really starting, I would say, in 14th century, but probably people would go back before of a slow, methodical movement away. Uh, from seeing Christianity as something that's universal, something that's public. And instead, we've created this kind of private life where we have our own beliefs and ideas about what's true and what's false, and then how we are supposed to behave and operate in public, um, which is has its own set of norms. And and we see this, you know, we, we, we get lulled into thinking that this is actually okay, and in some cases that this is good, and that I'm just going to smile real big and show my chompers to, to my coworkers, and that's what I'm going to do to share the love of God. And it's like, actually, it's a lot more radical than that. It's a lot more structural than that, too. I mean, you look at the average person's life in Philadelphia versus Phoenix, and it looks very, very similar to one another. You both, you know, probably live in the suburbs. You, you send your kids to, you know, good schools. You want them to go off to the same colleges. You want them to get the same degrees. You want them to, you know, uh, have a great job afterwards. And, 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 and the kind of the general life thrusts are very similar instead of saying, well, actually, what is, what are the things that Christ had changed and then would change again um, given given a conversion, like a full conversion of our entire lives to him. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I think I think that there's it's something that's uncomfortable to have these conversations at first because it does mean and require full conversion and that means repentance and that means changing our life and that's tough. but it's also really exciting because it really is and I don't mean this to sound nostalgic or sappy or anything, but it is a, a, the opportunity of finding a more intimate relationship with Jesus, uh, which is what this whole thing's about. So yeah and in college of course, when you brought up that college track, I always think like I see people and they're usually very well-meaning, Typically, you could consider good citizens. The mm-hmm. highest end for them is to get their kid into the most prestigious university to mm-hmm. then go make the most amount of money and a job after college. And that seemingly is kind of it. And I had a moment in my life where I kind of was like, if this is it, we're in trouble. Like this, that's <laughs> only the first, you know, 20 some years of your life. And you're stuck in, you know, what some could see as like an office space type job. You know, what do you do here? You're sitting in a cubicle and your work isn't fulfilling and you're depressed because you're going home and you're not feeling fulfilled. And so what I appreciate about this is that it so radically breaks, I think, that vision of what a life should look like. And one of the coolest things that I saw from uh, New Polity, of course, you're a part of that, was uh, this Christian post-liberal worldview. And I think it's hard even for me because I'm so baked into this liberal worldview of people like John Locke and, and people that we kind of hold up as, you know, the leaders of what we consider Western society. And yeah. I, I wanted to ask you this because I saw it on your website. And I thought it was a great way to illustrate this. Um, I saw the example that you used was the institution of marriage and how the institution of marriage can be really demonstrative for the point that you're trying to make there. Could you go a little bit deeper into like 
the primacy of the institution of marriage and then, you know, government, if it doesn't support that or does support that. You know what? Can you remind me what we wrote on the website? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, I set that yeah. one up. I've just been thinking about this the last couple of days. So go for uh, it. Yeah. For, for example, post-liberalism does not seek to demonstrate how the institution of marriage is beneficial to the state or economy, but rather to demonstrate that marriage is a more fundamental society than either. Uh, and then, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I think Things. that was a good example. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks so much. So, I, I, so in our modern society, we're talking a lot about like what's good for the economy. I mean, this is a, the question that we're facing really over every four years. Like, I'm going to vote based upon what's going to ensure that the most jobs are created uh, and that that our GDP is always moving up. And and that is such a um, globalist macro vision that's forgetting about what is most important, and that is the peace of families living in harmony with one another. Uh, that when the church praises subsidiarity as the kind of the prime principle of of politics, what they're saying is not just like things are best handled at a lower level. That's kind of a libertarian uh, interpretation of that principle. Rather, what it's saying is that that is where the most power is, you know, like my wife has the most power over me because I love her, you know, more than anybody else, right? She can tell me to do something and I'll do it. That's a lot of power, right? <laughs> and the same thing with your kids. I mean, that's what happens when a kid cries. It's like, ah, you got a lot of power over me, kid. You know, well, well, really what is actually in fact happening is that I am the powerful one and that I'm using my ability and my effectiveness to be able to lift up their life and to bring it into into a greater state of 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 flourishing and and that that ability to raise somebody up is much more effective at a personal level than at a global and administrative level, I would say as well, is that there's more aspects of their life that I can know, that I can understand, that I can see what's really good for them. I mean, that is, that is an incredible amount of, uh, of, of, of authority that God has actually given and designed into the very fabric of reality. So then when you move further out from there, it is with the recognition that, that the real moments of power and that the great efficacy of love actually dwindles the more or the less personal it becomes and that to be able to flip on its head and say that all of society and what we do do at a at a larger level which is necessary is ultimately for lifting up the citizen in virtue i mean actually this is the this is the biggest thing it's like what is the point of politics is a question and that is not a secular question that is a fundamentally theological question where we actually need to know our ends so that we know how to direct society as a whole how to live our lives as a whole and and the end actually is properly to be with god and to enjoy him forever forever with other people and so to be able to then grow in virtue is the point. That's what St. Thomas Aquinas says quite clearly, that, that the end of virtue, meaning the purpose, or excuse me, the end of politics, the, the, the purpose of politics is the growth in virtue. And the virtues themselves are, are not just, you know, this pagan notion of like having great self-control, um, but rather to have the maximum ability 
of self-giving, that the virtues make us more like Christ. They are like what St. Maximus the Confessor says, God written on our hearts, and God is triune. He is a constant, eternal, beginning and proceeding, as we say in the creeds, the, the Father beginning the Son and the Holy Spirit proceeding between the two. This is a life of triunity of virtue at its at its source, and that our life as political creatures is to emulate this. Uh, and so this is a completely different frame, and that happens, the, the growth of, of virtue happens at a, at a level of total freedom and, and true volition, but also happens at a most personal level as, as well. So it is a complete reframing on the liberal narrative where we do think about uh, structures and systems and we're, we're, we're assumed to be isolated individuals that um, only you know work together, collaborate together because of some compromises that we're making and that really we're behaving purely out of self-interest, um, which obviously just doesn't even capture what what we see in day-to-day -day life. I mean, the reason why Locke says that we have children is so that we uh, they can take care of us in our old age. It's like, really? That's why you have kids? Like, that's <laughs> no nobody says that, you know? Uh, <laughs> that's why we created 401ks. Uh, I'm just kidding about that. Oh, <laughs> we're gonna, don't worry. It. We're going to get into that. That no, was no, like no, people no. email like talking about 401ks. We, we, we'll keep it rolling. Don't worry. <laughs> no, no, no. We should talk about the college. But, you know, these are, these are really <laughs> fundamental shifts um, that, um, th that we've had from a Christian society to a liberal society. And the liberal society is not something that's like left-wing politics. It's actually left and right-wing politics today. It's just the world that we live in. And so what we're, what we're so excited about in, in creating new institutions like the College of St. Joseph the Worker is to break models using Catholic principles rather than liberal ones at the end of the day. It's like, how can we ensure that you are actually in a position to thrive, to grow in virtue, to have the ability of self-giving in a greater capacity than you otherwise would? And that means, on the one hand, knowing the truths that make life most human so that you can, you can willingly choose the good and operate accordingly, um, but also to have a real uh, apostolate you know, skills, not thinking about um, what you do in your career, not just as a job, just, you know, something that you may or may not enjoy that's just there to pay the bills, but as a real work, yeah, something that en actually enables you to grow in virtue and to offer some tangible good to others. Uh, you know, that is, that is a setting somebody up pretty well to hit that true end, that true purpose of politics, um, rather than just trying to skate by and pay your bills. Yeah. And what, what excites me so much about your project, and I don't want to be cute about this. We're talking about the College of St. Joseph, the Worker, uh, Franciscan University, uh, Matt Frad, maybe the new Polity Boys. That's maybe what people think of when they think of Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, Steubenville, Ohio, for those that aren't really aware, uh, isn't doing so great, wasn't doing so great, you know, it was kind of a product of, you know, the Rust Belt kind of falling apart and uh, it's a little bit dilapidated, I think a lot of people would say. And I think what is so interesting about what you guys have started down there is that you're you're not going to maybe Chicago or you're not going to a place that has all these systems already built up, you know, places that already have a lot going for them. You're basically starting from scratch. 
And, you know, I can't say it any better than what you said before this, but the prospect of starting something new, a a pretty new concept relatively uh, in having a school that not only equips people uh, in the mind, but also in the hands, right? With, in terms of hard skills that they can make money off of. Uh, One of the things that really jumped off the website to me, two things, uh, redefining integrated was one of the things and that it integrates the mind and the soul, but also the body, which often gets forgotten about. And then student centric by uh, eliminating unnecessary staff and bureaucracies, students are able to actually get this education and not be in crippling debt, which I'd say most people that go to college leave with crippling debt. It's just an unfortunate part of the current situation. So uh, take me to the beginning when you you were going to start this school. Uh, what was foremost on your mind as a service you wanted to give to Steubenville, Ohio, but also to uh, young men and young women to to be able to live differently than say that previous model? You know, I remember graduating. It was like graduation week from undergrad, and and thankfully I was in a, a good position financially. Um, and so I, debt was not something that I had to suffer. As, but most of my friends were saying, you know, I, I really hope these four years were worth it because I'm going to be 50 years old when I pay this off. And I just, that actually hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, that is just so evil. I can't believe that's happening. <laughs> we're, we're literally sending out kind of our brightest and best with the most energy into the most, you know, wonderful decade of their life, limping financially, where they're going to have to make compromises left and right instead of actually in freeing them up to be able to pursue something uh, great. And so I, that was certainly one of the major things that was on my mind. And, uh, you know, people say about the liberal arts, which, you know, there is this wonderful Catholic resurgence in, in the humanities, which is so good, that you can't put a price tag on it. And I like to say, then great, don't put a hundred thousand dollar price tag on it. You know, <laughs> it's this is something. These are truths that make life most human that that enable you to free up your soul to know what is true to pursue what is good, and that once you know these truths, you should be enabled to actualize them, to actually bring them into the world. And just because these certainly ha- are maybe you would say like objectively greater considerations than practical matters of the active life. It doesn't mean that the practical matters of the active life aren't essential still. They are. I mean, that is, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, uh, how we acquire the moral virtues is through the active life. And then we enjoy them in the contemplative life. Uh, And so we need to do a great job on both fronts and reject this false dichotomy between the head and the hands and teach our students to lead both active and contemplative lives, teaching them to know divine truths, to love divine truths, and how to also creatively shape the world as it's given to them by God to do so as to reform it into a world that properly reflects these truths as well. Uh, and, and so when we, when we, um, we're kind of looking at, I mean, sorry, this is all very theoretical, but it was, it was kind of by seeing my friends in, in this situation saying, we need to do, we need to do better. And I had a very meaningful conversation with a good buddy of mine at lunch several years ago, where we were exploring that this idea that many people are saying, not everybody should go to college, which is very true. Not everybody does need to go to college, but we can't give up 
on higher education. It was the church that created the first universities. It was the church that saw them as as a fundamental breeding ground for for great preachers and great missionaries, uh, and and that we need to actually claim them, reclaim them, rather than letting kind of these woke Marxist ideologues uh, take them over. Those are our institutions as Catholics. And so I, I certainly support everyone who's creating uh, new Catholic trade schools. That is a wonderful thing. We want to go even further. We want your tr- our students' training in the trades to be even more robust, and we want them to, instead of going off to you know the University of Chicago's or the Northwesterns of the world, we want them to come to the College of Saint Joseph the Worker, where they will find a more robust education in the Catholic intellectual tradition. So I just don't think that we we need to compromise and say um, one or the other that the Word became flesh and spent most of the years of his life at a carpenter's bench. I mean, we are meant to live fully incarnate lives, both head and hand, wedded together. Uh, And the people say that it's one or the other actually have just forgotten this glorious Catholic anthropology, this true anthropology uh, that that our tradition has celebrated for, for most of its history. Yeah. And I know that it's starting out. And could you give me a very practical, like what joining the college would look like? What is your hope for their, how long would it take? When would they be able to graduate? What skills would they acquire? And then how are they able to leave without debt? Yeah. Great question. So this is a six-year program. And if you think about like this, it usually takes you four years to get your BA degree and it will take you another four or five years to get your journeyman status. So those eight or nine years we've compressed into six years. So this is actually, whereas a six-year program might at first sound uh, a bit slow, this is actually super fast. Uh, the first three years are here in Steubenville, Ohio, which as you said, is uh, seen greater and more glorious days. I think the best years of Steubenville are ahead of us. Uh, but it's a really kind of an amazing place where um, most of the structures and the systems found in other major cities are, are are set in place and you have to deal with them. We have this blank canvas almost where we get to rebuild. And so our students start here in, in, in downtown Steubenville. Uh, for moving in the first year, they are uh, getting trained in, the, in all of the major building uh, trades in a curriculum that we like to call the, the anatomy of a home or the logic of a, of a building, really understanding how each part of the building trades fit together with the others. Uh, you know, it's too often that you, you find and uh, tradesmen, like, I, I mean, I've seen this, it's hilarious where you, like HVAC techs will just literally cut through floor joists to put their duct work in. <laughs> and it's just like, man, I yeah. know that that's a bad move. You know, what are all the smaller things that are going on that we're missing. And this is one of the, without, um, you know, speaking too poorly about trade schools, when you go to trade school, you're picking one thing and you're studying that one thing. We really want to take more time to give our students this robust uh, education in all of the building trades. So then starting year two, they will then concentrate in one of the trades, carpentry, HVAC, uh, plumbing, or electrical. At that point, they also are starting to work in downtown on various projects that we'll have set up for them. And so their training will be both 
in the classroom, theoretical studying flow, studying, studying, uh, or calculating, uh, you know, wattage, whatever else. And then also training on real sites for that. You actually legally are, uh, paid to train. And so that is a way that our students are able to offset their tuition, uh, completely. Now, during these first three years, you're also taking courses in theology as well. And so that starts out with two major courses, very full courses, I would say, in sacred scripture and in sacred tradition, ecclesiastical history, which is just the foundation of all um, all theology. And so we need to start there to be able to do anything else. And so these are some pretty hefty courses that our students will take um, through that first year. Uh, then in years two and three, courses will continue on while they work here in town. Start Starting year four, we actually will relocate our students and they will go uh, elsewhere in the nation to their home states or a state that they want to move to. And they will, we'll, we will set them up with a master craftsman who is in our network, meaning that we have uh, thoroughly vetted them for the quality of their craftsmanship as well as the quality of their character to ensuring that our students' education will uh, really flourish, both both in terms of a hopeful one-day small business owner as well as, as a true craftsman. And their education, their theology education, will then go online, which we hope will, um, even past graduation, will then ensure that they have built up the habits of continual study um, while working. So that is really the, the practical um, vision of it. Once they are set up as an apprentice, they're, they're going to be uh, in years four, five, and six uh, under one, one craftsman. That's really when they're going to be starting to make some real money and, and why, we, um, uh, why we assert quite boldly that they, none of our students will be graduating with crippling debt. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so, what are the the size expectations? Is it, are you planning on taking thousand kids, hundred kids? Like, what what would a classroom setting look like for your school? You know, what? it really depends on how fast we're able to uh, fundraise and and welcome more slots for students. Our first year is going to be small; it's going to be thirty students. We'd like to build up to a hundred a year, uh, and over a six year program, that'll be around six hundred students. Um, and so, we'll be at the size of of say a Christendom College. Um, that's our hope. And we're, you know, I like to say that there is certainly this quantity problem in the trades today. It's a huge quantity problem. It's half a million jobs that are um, going unfulfilled in the trades right now. Three tradesmen are, are, are retiring for every one that is entering. The numbers are bleak. But if you have a quantity problem, you also have a quality problem. And it's really that quality problem that we are taking aim at, that we are trying to raise up students to be leaders of crews, leaders of men, being able to think critically, to understand the holistic nature of each job that they uh, enter into, to know the finer specifications of the building forms and types, the composites and materials. Uh, and so that's, so size is not really something that we are, uh, is our primary aim. It's really quality. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that came up and you used the phrase making real money and this just hit me. <laughs> uh, I feel like there's a lot of, when you think of Catholic educated or Catholic mission, a lot of times you think of almost like missionaries or people that maybe uh, don't make a lot of money or they intentionally live in poverty. Yeah. And you're an economics guy. Me just thinking about the impact of if you know, you send out a couple hundred kids all over the country with their own businesses now making serious money. 
that's really that's an exciting potential to me because now they have some more uh, buying power per se in their local communities to potentially shape it differently. Has, has, was that intentionally on your mind to uh, to embed people in local communities like that with actual power to use money? Like money is kind of a I almost clam up when I hear the word money because people are uncomfortable <laughs> talking about it. But you obviously have made a living. Basically, no money's connected to being Catholic. How do you see that impact uh, playing out? Yeah, I absolutely see that is playing out in that way in this kind of the power of of subsidiarity as we were just talking about. And it's it's for this reason that the the trades are pretty much move proof. You know, talk about all the industries that have moved off to to China or to India or to Mexico over the last several decades. You can't export the trades to China, to Mexico, to India. The building needs to be built here. You know, the home needs to be erected here. The problems are local. The solutions thus have to be local. And so when you have now a small army of 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 competent young catholic tradesmen actually understanding how the world around us works how the systems around us works that is a very powerful person in a local community who's actually able to share knowledge and to affect tangible change by the fruit of his labor um, and he's also going to be doing extremely well financially so that he's able to not only take care of problems himself, which then makes his life cheaper, but he's also taking care of a lot of problems for other people, which brings in, you know, quite a, quite an enviable salary. And so that double thrust really enables him to be not only more helpful at the parish than the average person, I would say, um, but also able to give more alms to invest in a Christian society um, with with more efficacy than he would otherwise uh, have. So yes, I mean this is this is a very fundamental part to our to our model and our and our hopes. Yeah, that's really exciting. Uh, one thing that he, I, I'm I'm excited for your instructors to potentially experience this, but. I think that uh, especially my generation below kind of gets a rap of being very soft. And I think when you hear, (laughs) when you hear the theology of work and you hear uh, everyone say how important that manual labor is and how it's actually sanctifying, it's all fun and games until all of a sudden you're getting up at six in the morning. I mean, I've worked landscaping before we're doing 12 hour days. Like it's, it's not easy. Uh, Do you think that, are you concerned with kids not being able to, step up to the challenge? Or do you think there's maybe a sleeper element in people that actually desire this kind of challenge or, and it just hasn't been tapped into yet? Yeah, it's a, well, that's an awesome question. So I, I do think that there is that sleeper element. And I would say for this reason, namely that we were designed for this. You know, God gave the command to Adam to, to work and, and keep the garden prior to the fall, not after it. This is part of the fulfillment of our human nature. And the, when we fulfill our human nature, we're happier. You know, there's there's like, this is in, fundamental in all of us. So I do think that that's there. And it is just waiting for us to give these next, this younger generation, the charge, work hard, be a man. Now, I would also say that that is a lot of work to wake somebody up to that as well, you know, especially when they've <laughs> yeah. had now 18 years habituated towards this kind of soft sluggardliness, you know, that, that, that those of us raised with the internet largely um, have suffered. But that, that said, we, again, if I was to try and do this welcoming uh, 5,000 students every year, 
that would be an intricate part of our model is waking students up. But we're looking for 30 to 100. And so part of the application process for us is going to be seeing, like, do you know what it's like to work with your body? You know, where you have proven that you know that after four days, you're going to be extremely sore and you're going to get up again. You know, we, we can make some of those choices. Now, some people are just going to be such phenomenal applicants that we would, we would take them anyway. And in that case, we, would, we will be with them, you know, all the way through seeing you raised up into, into a man. And that's wonderful. And we're, we're pumped about that. Um, but, but I think that there are a lot more people out there that are keeping alive the the dignity, the glory of work than than we might think in Gen Z. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they're there. I, I have no doubts. And, yeah. you know, it, it's interesting that you're doing this at a time where I feel like the philosophy uh, from the top, potentially even in Catholicism, is to make everything easier, mm. uh, to, to ask less of people, you know, changing the liturgical cha- calendar, <laughs> uh, not making people go to mass as much. Don't pray the rosary. Don't worry about that. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it feels almost like a deliberate softening of, like you said, totally. uh, a once great ownership of something else. So you're, you're kind of coming in with the one, two punch of, you know, not only are we going to ask for intellectual rigor and theological rigor and that you're not getting a pass on studies, but also wake up, you know, it's time to get to work. And, uh, that's really, it feels like the legacy of our ancestors. I mean, it wasn't probably easy building America, uh, from the ground up, I'd imagine. And, uh, yeah, we, totally. we almost had this like period of time where we enjoyed too much access. It's like the classic, you know, good, good men, bad times, bad times, terrible times, terrible times, good men. It's like yeah, the cycle. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we could break the cycle. We just like, all right, let's just get back to being sweet, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get to work. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I know. I think that's true. You know, so many of these, you know, old American values of the the smart, dignified yeoman farmer are just kind of lost on us completely now. I mean, you, you, I, you know, you can read these letters of, uh, you know, guys like Madison going out and saying, you know, I, uh, you know, I worked the field uh, all morning and then went home and translated two pages of Virgil. And it's just like, <laughs> dude, you're a baller. You know, that's, yeah. that's awesome. And, and we just don't do that. And like the praise of the yeoman farmer and the 20th century praise of the small business owner are, are really one and the same thing, that independent, economically independent men are more capable of building up their local communities than those who are bound up in systems, cogs in a machine. We're just, we're just saying, you know, I think we originally had a good idea and we don't really like the cogs in the machine thing. Let's be more American in this. Let's be more like, like the founders in this. Uh, Let's, let's, let's uncover these, these, these gems that we've covered up. Yeah. If you want to work the field and then go translate Virgil, uh, we got, we got a call for you at St. Joseph, the worker college in Steubenville, <laughs> Ohio. Uh, so if people want to, uh, check out more about the college and also follow you guys, new polity boys, which you guys are up to, where's the best places for them to do that and potentially support your mission. Thank you. I really appreciate that. College of St. Joseph, the worker.com, uh, or excuse me. Oh gosh, I got to get my URLs right. College of St. Joseph.com. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, and then newpolity.com are good places to, to find us. And we, throughout this, this year, actually, if somebody's kind of interested in, uh, in what we're all about, we're having these short-term classes ranging from one week to one month, things like, uh, intro the home ownerships. So if you just bought a house, if you owned a house for 20 years and you still don't know how it works, you probably come to that one, uh, all the way to things like timber framing, 
uh, which I think is, you know, I've just talked to so many of my friends being like, man, I want to go back and do undergrad again like this. This is kind of like your way of of getting a taste of what this is like. So I'll be teaching a theology component, theology of work primarily um, in each of these classes. And then we'll have some of our instructors who are just just incredible guys, holy, very impressive um, men uh, as well. And so uh, teaching, teaching those, those, uh, those trades components as well. So come, come uh, join us for one of those classes. Tell your kids to apply. Uh, help us as much as you can with your experience in alms as well. Uh, we we're, we uh, covet that. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's funny how many people I've talked to about this concept or other Catholic trade school concepts. It's like, can I go back to college? Like, is it too late for me? You know, but I, I like the idea of even those classes because it's it seemingly I don't know how this happened, but woefully unprepared for things like home ownership. And it, I don't even think it's like a negative per se, or it's not even oh, it's your fault. It's just you never thought about it. You weren't taught it because it wasn't a necessity. You know, you always had other tradesmen do things for you. And if you want to learn, this is a great opportunity to it. So uh, you, you, I, I want to end with this too, because you, you brought this up. You're like, well, if you cut into that, it won't make sense for the other thing. Uh, you strike me as a very academic gentleman. I mean, you're a doctor, you studied economics and theology, uh, and you were on a finance track. Where did where did you have this experience where, Hey, I, I, I kind of need to start using my hands a little bit more and I want to learn how to cut into the floorboard and not mess with other things. What was that experience like for you? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, not quite giving birth. You know, my, my wife has proven <laughs> me that it was, that's much harder, but uh, <laughs> I would never, I would never say anything on that. Never. Yeah. <laughs> on the record. No, yeah, birth yeah, is yeah. the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> it is the hardest, obviously, but it, <laughs> you know, it was small participation in that for me. You know, I think I was, uh, working in DC, and and I had a rich opportunity to, to live with a dear friend of mine who was a master carpenter um, at the same time. And he just just railed against me so ruthlessly saying how incompetent <laughs> I was with my hands. And, and at that point, I was like, yeah, you're, he's right. There, there's a level of masculinity that I'm very far from. And I got, <laughs> I got to work on that. So in, in addition with like, teasing me pretty cruelly. He also helped me and taught me quite a few things and, and the experience and uh, the joy of learning uh, the trades is, is uh, something that I've really come to, to love. And, you know, working on my house now, building a new house and such is really quite fun. So this is definitely... I'm sorry, a, you're, building, you're building a house yourself? Yeah, well, it's not very impressive. I hope it lasts, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. But, um, you know, it, it is kind of an ex- extraordinary transition in my life. And I think that if I can do it, anyone can. So. Yeah. <laughs> Man, good luck with that. Just don't build it on sand. Yeah. You know, we, we got that instruction. Yeah, like, you, you know, read I read that, that somewhere, Ferns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck with that. Thanks, uh, bro. Jacob, we send our best. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, best of luck to... We'll, we'll keep you updated. If you guys have updates, send it our way and we'd love to see the success of this new initiative. God bless you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome.